calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Realm presents Book Burners, Season 2, Episode 10. Sal didn't know where to look. Too many terrible things were happening at once. Grace had reached to touch the water in the fountain, and Liam had bent to smell the giant red flower. Common sense told Sal that her friends were very stupid to do these things, but she wondered if the lures had some sort of attraction spell going on. With a rustle and a chomp, the flower grabbed Liam, lifting him into the air as if to slide him down its gullet, which looked a lot less like a flowering vine now and more like a throat. Before Sal could react, Grace climbed into the fountain and lifted her hand to join the dancing women, becoming soaked in the water. In an instant, she was silver stone. Sal swore and leaped to her feet. She doubted Grace could get into more trouble at this point, being already turned to stone. Liam could still be saved. Grabbing at Liam's legs only had her eating one of his boots when he flailed in panic at this new attack and kicked her in the face. She let go and fell into the grass, wiping blood from a split lip. Damn it, she said. More flowers rustled around her. Were they drawn to the blood? Sal scooted back toward the middle of the garden, an idea forming. Hang on, Liam, she yelled and dashed around the house. She was back in an instant with Liam's boxes of smoked salmon. She ripped open one of the vacuum packs and tossed a piece into the flower bed. Two flowers came to life and began snapping at the salmon. Excellent. She started throwing fish directly at the pod that held Liam. It had pulled him in nearly to the knees, and his boots still kicked. Keep fighting, angry Irishman, she thought. A piece of fish landed on the petals that formed the plant's lips, and the lips quivered. She threw another one at that spot, and it twitched. It reminded Sal of a dog with too many tennis balls as it tried to somehow snap at the fish without letting Liam go. One whole box was gone, and she opened the other one. She had two handfuls of the stuff when the thing spat out Liam and began snapping at the pieces of salmon. Sal threw the final hunks of fish and the boxes, for good measure, into the garden and ran to grab Liam by the feet as the pods all came to life to snap at the new offering of meat. 
Liam was wearing a blue streak, his eyes closed, with some sort of thick digestive film covering them. You're okay, Sal said, dragging him out of the radius of the flowers. What the fuck happened? Why can't I see? He asked, wiping at his eyes. You got eaten by a flower, she said simply. No, you have to help me. Grace is in trouble. What a grace, Liam asked, then opened his eyes. He squinted, then his eyes went wide. Oh, shit. Near as I can tell, we can't get close to the water. She touched the water, and then she was in the fountain, and then she was stone. You were getting eaten at the time. It, it was hard to figure out what was going on. Liam watched the flowers clean up the rest of his smoked salmon. What a fucking mess. Where's Asante? Still inside? I'm pretty sure we're on our own for now. Wonderful. Liam reached for his pocket to get his phone and then swore again. He stood and marched over to the edge of the flower garden. You can eat me and try to digest me, but no one messes with my fucking phone. Cough it up. He kicked at the lavender. Idiot, we're out of fish. How am I supposed to save you a second time? We have to get Grace out of this, Sal hissed, pinching his ear and pulling him back. He yelped in pain, but came with her. Sal placated him by giving him her phone to mess with. She tried not to compare him to a toddler, but he was fine once he had a toy in his hands. He began walking around the garden, looking at the phone, staying out of the way of the larger flowers. You're not gonna get any signal, she said. We're at the house of a powerful magic user. Liam stalked around, raising the phone as if that would help. Would it kill you not to check Tumblr for five minutes? Your anime fan art sites will still be there when we get back to civilization. The back of his neck turned red, and he turned around and rejoined her. I wasn't looking at Tumblr, he said. I was trying to send a text to Manchu. Maybe he'd have an idea about Grace, and if she's not gonna fill him in on all this, we need to. He had jerked his head toward the house when he said she's. She has a name, Asante said from the doorway. Where the fuck have you been? Liam asked, riding over to her. While you were off hanging with your girlfriend, we were getting eaten and turned to stone, and he gestured to Sal's bloody face. Whatever happened to Sal? He paused. What did happen to you? You did, Sal said. She focused on Asante. We're afraid to touch the water. We think that's what got Grace. How do we get her back? Asante glanced inside. Behind her, the matress was kneading bread. We need your help, Asante said to her. The matress looked up. Children shouldn't play in strange gardens, she said. She wiped her hands on her apron and joined them outside. You told us to wait here, Liam said, seething. Asante shushed him. Matress, please. This will be another debt, the matress began, but Sal interrupted. No, just flat out, no, she said, crossing her arms and facing the matress. Basic hospitality rules all over the damn world, magical and regular. Put us under your protection so long as we remain where you invited us to be. We stayed in the garden. You didn't say not to touch the fountain or the plants. Bring her back. The matress quirked a smile at Sal. You know, hospitality rules aren't magically binding, right? That's only in stories. Yes, but I'm asking you to have basic decency. You gave a child a knife to play with and now want to charge the parents for a bandage when she gets cut. That's not fair in any realm. She hoped she was right. You're quite eloquent when you want to be, detective, the matress said. She looked at Asante. I can see why you have her on the team. Very well. Grace, I will set free. In an instant, Grace was stumbling out of the fountain, falling to her knees and coughing. Who was the other woman? Asante asked. When you got that fountain, there were only two ladies. 
The matress waved a hand as if it didn't matter. A rival for control of the market. She's irrelevant. Grace got to her feet, murder in her eyes, but Sal stood in front of her. It's over. You're safe. Don't make this worse. We'll explain everything later. I need to punch something, Grace said through gritted teeth. I get that, but she set you free with a thought. I'm pretty sure she can put you back there before you can reach her, Sal said. You can't win this one. No, but I'll remember it, Grace said. She sent a withering look to Asante and stalked out of the yard. Liam watched her go. Did you get rental insurance on the car, he asked. No, why, Asante said. They heard a crash and some breaking glass. No reason. Dimitres, Asante said, clearing her throat, has offered you her bathroom to freshen up. She is also baking bread for our trip. Sal laughed in surprise. No, thank you. After this afternoon, I don't think any of us will be eating magical food. It's not, never mind, go use the facilities if you need to, and then we'll leave, Asante said. Sal could sense Liam's desire to wash, and she burned with curiosity to see the inside of a powerful mage's house, but didn't want to press their luck any further. She shook her head. I'm good. Then, let's go. Three. They had to stop at a fuel station 30 minutes after leaving the maitress's house for washing up and snacks. Asante made grumbling noises that reminded Sal very much of a father during a family road trip, complaining about unplanned stops. Considering the whole 30 minutes had been spent in miserable cold since Grace had smashed a window, and with Liam shouting at Sal to stop calling him Seymour, it wasn't too far off base. At the station, they bought some tape to cover the window, and Sal began patching it. When she was done, she dabbed some cream on her split lip and then devoured a chocolate bar. Asante returned with a bottle of water and a box of smoked salmon. Sal raised an eyebrow. I thought it might serve to patch things up with Liam, Asante said. I'm pretty sure he's off salmon for a while, Sal said. Where to now? Liam approached Asante and snatched the box away. I researched that phone you described. It's a brick, a failed device put out that no one bought, literally. Apparently, the company donated all of the phones to an unspecified charity. Then how did the matress get one? Sal asked. I think unspecified charity in this case means a bunch of magic users, because the only place in the entire world to get a case for this phone is in a mall kiosk in Reykjavik, Liam said. And phones are mostly devices to hold information, Sal said, rubbing her swollen lip and wincing. It's worth checking out. I mean, when are we going to get to Reykjavik again? Never, Grace said, shouldering past them and opening the car door, then collapsing into the passenger seat. I'm actually pretty excited that we're rating a hot topic for magical items, Sal said. I've always wanted to tear apart one of those places. Once they were all in the car again, Asante resumed driving. So if the thief is associated with this kiosk, she is likely selling the secrets from there. We have to recover the secrets and return them to their owners at best, uh, destroy them at worst. And the woman was smart enough to get into the matress's private vault, so she's got to have allies. Just point me at someone, Grace said. She looked odd in her sweatshirt with a smoking mountain and I survived AF Yatla Jokic printed underneath, paired with two long gray sweatpants. She had shed her wet clothes and thrown them away. Grace wanted no reminder of the day, it appeared. She dug her journal out of her bag, wrote down the date and the awakening, and then began writing. 
That's one of the problems, Asante said. Malls are full of civilians. Does Team 2 know what we're up against? Sal asked. Liam fiddled with Sal's phone again. It hadn't left his hands since he'd gotten reception again. They do now, he said, hitting send. But you don't need to worry about people. We can cut their line to the grid, cause a power outage, shut down all the registers so people have to go home, or... Or just pull the fire alarm. Christ, Liam, you really like to do things the hard way, don't you? Sal said. He glared at her and began another text to Manchu. The phone pinged, and he stopped typing to read. Manchu says, go ahead with the mission. Was there ever a question that we weren't? Asante asked. Well, now we know we have his blessing, Liam said. That's enough for me. Sal felt something unclench inside of her. The recent tension between Asante and Manchu had been a background anxiety in all of their lives, something she didn't notice until they agreed on something again. Strong leadership was key to a group like this. You may not be on an elite team of investigators fighting the dangers of magic, but that doesn't mean you have to be defenseless when it comes to protecting your data online. Lucky for you, our partners at NordVPN know their way around the World Wide Web. VPN stands for Virtual Private Network, which creates a sort of encrypted tunnel while you're online, protecting your private data like bank details and passwords, so you can browse safely wherever you are in the world. In addition to providing you with a high level of security online, my favorite use of NordVPN is to virtually switch my location, so I can watch movies and shows that aren't currently available in my area. Plus, that way I can still access my favorite content when I'm traveling as well. I'm a fan of pretty much any British TV show, but they aren't always available in the US, so with NordVPN, I can virtually travel across the pond to enjoy my telly. NordVPN is also the fastest VPN in the world, and you can get all that speed, protection, and virtual locations for the price of just a coffee a month. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com bookburners. Our link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. We can imagine many potential futures. Some serve as inspiration, others, warnings. Wondery offers one possibility of the future in their new show, The Last City. The year is 2072, and the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Strong leadership was tearing the society apart. Manchu needed no magic to see that. All he had to do was sit in this too-hot room holding his lukewarm cup of bad tea and listen to people talk about him as if he wasn't there. Monsignor Fox, for example, Team One's clerical and administrative head, had begun with some minor point of order, but worked his way around to, 
unable and indeed sometimes appears unwilling to curtail his archivist's adventurism. Adventurism. Manchu's last text from Liam had reported a monstrous flower, an enigmatic hostess, and a magical fountain they'd left intact, and said the party was on their way to a mall to stop a woman who had outsmarted the maitress. Anything could still happen. They might end up swallowed by some sort of magical bubble that would chew its way out from the Icelandic coast to consume the world, for example. Was this how Asante felt all the time watching them go? No wonder she wanted more field experience. Fox was still rolling. Manchu clutched his tea and glanced left to Sansoni and right to Monsignor and Julie. Sansoni, Team Two's representative, kept her cool, not that she ever lost her cool to begin with. And Anjuli, Team Three's Monsignor, charming, affable, and wise, just waited. One of the Jesuits in attendance consulted the meeting minutes and objectives, but did not interrupt. One legate was staring very intently at his hands, cupped in his lap. Manchu hoped he was praying. Then at least this closed chamber monstrosity would feature some godliness. Then he saw the legate's thumb tapping, tapping, tapping on the screen of the phone he held in the rhythm of that stupid game he'd seen Liam play on the airplane last year, the one with the bird and the pipes. Indeed, Fox continued. While I understand a greater license Team 3 has been allowed in the wake of last year's fiasco, they have pushed this license to its limits. As well, they showed, to my mind, vigor in the defense of virtue is no vice. Manchu resisted the urge to roll his eyes at the showy alliteration. But even now, Team 3 are in the field without any ordained oversight. Our role, and the role of our new cardinal, must be to curb excesses to establish order. The very nature of magic. The room filled with hushed murmurs when he said that word out loud. Even the legate looked up from his phone. The very nature of magic is changing. We have to be strong and supple to adapt to its change. We cannot afford to let discipline slacken. We cannot continue to let our archivists run wild. He sat down. Manchu looked to Aunt Julie. This is your cue, boss. Stand up. Speak. Aunt Julie didn't. The Jesuit shuffled his meeting minutes, cleared his throat. Dr. Asante, Manchu said, is not my archivist, Monsignor Fox, nor is she yours or ours. The Jesuit stopped with his mouth open. She is the archivist. We trust her, as we have trusted her predecessors, to guard and study the books and artifacts the society assembles. She is not my subordinate. She is my colleague and often my guide. We do not hold the same views about magic or anything else, but she is not running wild, as you say, Monsignor. And I would take care with my words in the future, if I were you. Our society should count itself lucky to work with someone of her skill, knowledge, and wisdom. But yes, Monsignor, I am worried when my team goes into the field without a priest along, which is part of the reason I hope we can limit these meetings to the purpose at hand, identifying any possible obstacles to the ascension of Monsignor Anjuli to the post of Cardinal, so I can get my team back. Fox sat down. He watched Manchu as if they were alone in the stone room, while the Jesuit moved on to the next point on the agenda. Manchu looked away. He caught the last trace of a smile submerging beneath Sansoni's calm. Pleased to see Manchu making political moves? Smelling blood in the water? If so, whose? Leadership. Give him demons any day. Do you think there's an Icelandic hot topic? 
Grace asked as they entered the Kringland shopping center. What? Liam said. I've never been to one. I don't shop in malls regularly in Rome, she said, craning her neck at the mostly unfamiliar store names. I was kidding about the hot topic, incidentally. How about we take you to one when we're not planning on evacuating the mall and battling a woman who outsmarted one of the strongest mages on earth? Sal asked. I just wanted a window shop, Grace said defensively. And I may want some clothes that are better than this volcanic mouthful. You know, killing whatever in front of me is always my priority. Especially after today, Liam said. Grace grunted in agreement. He did a quick search on Sal's phone and held it out to them. The mall's website with a list of Icelandic names and an occasional English name, the body shop, extra, scrolled by. There was no hot topic. Now can we get back to work? He asked. You all can crack jokes whenever you like, Seymour. When I want to do something fun, you act like the world is ending, said Grace. Sal put her hand on Grace's shoulder. Humor is great, but your timing could be better. It's a process. You'll get it. If you really want to go shopping, we can do it. Back home. It was the first time she had said home, and it had meant Rome in her mind, not New York. She felt momentarily disoriented. Asante had walked ahead of them and was puzzling out the mall map. The place bustled with mid-afternoon Christmas shoppers, and a bored mall Santa slumped, ignored, in a red throne. Some of the shoppers looked curiously at the obvious foreigners. Are you sure we don't want to get Team 2 on speed dial? Sal asked, reaching for her phone. Liam didn't surrender it. That uh, wouldn't be my first choice, he said. Well, they do their job better than we would, methods, leadership, and morality aside, Sal said. Yeah, by all means, scrape methods, leadership, and morals aside to get to the real soul of someone, Liam said. No doubt their interior is rich nougat. Asante ran her finger over the map as if that would help her find something more quickly. We call no one until we need them, she said absently over her shoulder, and then located a kiosk right outside a store called Joe and the Juice. There she is. First level is cell phone accessories, Asante said. Let's go. How do you know that's the mage? Liam asked. Because someone who has stolen something as priceless as what the maitress lost would never trust someone without magic to sell it, Asante said. If it's not her, then it's a powerful underling. So, be prepared. Wait, Grace said. I have a question. Sal put up her hand. We need a plan here, especially if we're not going to call team two. Liam, go look for a fire alarm. Grace, you shadow Asante, not too close. I'm going to the second floor to keep watch for other threats. What threats, whiny toddlers, cranky Christmas shoppers? Liam asked. We don't know what threats, Sal said. That's why I'm keeping watch. What if we need you down at the kiosk, Asante said. I'll go to the second floor, Grace said. You stay with Asante, but first, what about the things that may need punching? Sal asked, putting her hands on her hips. How are you going to punch from the second floor? I'll jump down. Sal can argue with that. She nodded, but Grace didn't go anywhere. I'm not moving one step farther until Asante tells us why we're doing this. We're putting our lives on the line, and we wouldn't be here if not for your secret. I wouldn't have been turned to stone if not for your secret. If we're securing a secret for the maitress, then you need to give yours up. Asante sighed and drew Grace away. She whispered into Grace's ear for a moment. Sal couldn't hear anything, but Grace's eyes went wide. She nodded briefly. Then she walked past Sal and Liam toward the escalator without saying another word. I'm not moving either. I got eaten, said Liam. But Asante raised an eyebrow at him. Only one of you got to play that card, and Grace played it first. Find the fire alarm, Liam. 
He opened his mouth to argue, but then Sal said, if her reason's good enough for Grace, it ought to be good enough for us. Now give me my phone. I have to browse phone accessories. The muscles in Liam's jaw worked as he struggled with some metaphorical demon, probably his tech obsession. But he handed it over, and then he turned and left them. Don't you ask to, Asante said. Wasn't going to, Sal said. It doesn't matter now. We're committed. She and Asante waited a few stores down from the kiosk while the other two got in place. Do you really think you can take care of this without violence? Sal asked. She stole the secrets without violence. Maybe we can do the same. But we're not stealing. With Grace here, it's, it's mugging. We could steal if we didn't resort to violence immediately. Yeah, and magic is totally safe all the time, isn't it? Sal said, grinning. Asante glared at her. Let's just see if we can take care of this peacefully. She walked away, and Sal popped her phone from the case and put it in her back pocket. She jogged to catch up to Asante as they approached the kiosk. There was a line out Joe and the Juice, which seemed to be a shake and juice shop that advertised the strongest vitamin C drink with the best immune system buffer in the world, with or without cayenne pepper, to make you sweat out toxins. Asante pulled out her phone and frowned at it. Then she began browsing the kiosk. Sal looked at her own phone and gritted her teeth. There was some serious magic here. She had zero service. If Grace got in trouble, she wouldn't know. She began browsing the cell phone cases with Asante. There were a few iPhone cases with logos of what seemed to be Icelandic soccer teams and some landscape photos of the volcano that no one could pronounce, but which really messed up transatlantic flight paths on occasion. Android and Windows phones, similarly decorated, lined the top row of the kiosk. But the items that took up most of the kiosk, all the rest of the shelves, the counter, and the display cases at knee level, were cases for the Klindorf phone. It was quadrilateral, like all phone cases, but while most phones sat solidly in the rectangle glass, this one was tilted, rhombus style. Who would want a phone that was a rhombus? She had never seen a phone in that shape and glanced at Asante. She gave a small nod back. What can I do for you, ladies? asked a small woman with blonde hair and ice-blue eyes. My boyfriend dropped his phone and cracked his screen, Sal said, emphasizing her U.S. accent more than usual. And I thought, God, I don't want that to happen to mine, so I said, I don't care if we're far away from Gaffney. You know Gaffney, right? We're famous all over for our big peach water tower down in Gaffney, South Carolina. I said, I don't care if we're far from home. I'm going to get me a case to protect my phone so what happened to him won't happen to me. As Sal talked, she placed her body in the woman's sightline to block her view of Asante. The problem here was that now she couldn't see what Asante was doing either. The bored woman, who had a dyed blue streak in her hair, listened patiently as Sal continued her story of her boyfriend and his busted phone. Then her eyes focused over Sal's shoulder. Sal turned to see what had caught her eye. If Liam had been a woman, Sal would have said he had gone to the restaurant to primp. He had removed his jacket, his black tank top showing off his muscles and his tattoos. He walked with a swagger, and his buzz cut stood out in spikes in that careful, no, really, ladies, I just rolled out of bed. I totally don't have plant digestive goo in my hair way. And Sal was sure he'd applied some kind of lip balm. Liam nodded to Sal, who had trailed off, hoping her surprise at seeing him would be taken as the same lust that the kiosk woman was demonstrating. She focused on him entirely. If you could point me towards some cases that would fit my phone, Sal asked, and the woman waved her hand at the top shelf. Sal moved closer to Asante and pretended to browse. Well, look at him, Asante said. Not what we planned, but it could work. He could have told us, 
Sal mumbled, trying not to notice Liam's blatantly sexy act. Too bad breaking up doesn't automatically make the other person hideous. This place reeks of magic and the phones are gone or useless. They had to improvise. Here comes Grace, Asante said. In retrospect, Sal thought they should have stayed with the original plan. As it was, the only thing that went right was the fire alarm, which went off just then, scattering the customers of the juice store. Liam had utterly distracted the mage, flirting and asking her which cases would fit his rather rough lifestyle. Asante pointed briefly to the one thing that wasn't a cell phone case or a dongle. A small stone gargoyle nestled into the cell phone cases. Right as Sal was about to reach for it, Grace walked by. It blinked once and sprang to life, aiming for her. Sal was always annoyed that magic didn't follow the laws of physics, particularly the conservation of mass. That stone gargoyle should have weighed the same when it was huge and bounding toward Grace as it did when it was small and sitting among the cell phone cases. Instead, it grabbed Grace and easily took her down as if it weighed tons. Liam tried to grab the clerk, but she was gone, and he tackled her stool instead. He went down hard, and Sal winced, imagining the bruises that would bloom on his ribs from falling on the stool legs. Grace was still struggling with the statue, which had pinned her. Sal went to help, but the beast lashed out with a claw, and she backed up right in time to feel it pass by her face. It seemed to still be the density of stone, and she figured she had better avoid being hit by that club with a claw on the end. The creature looked back at Sal, its yellow eyes, the only living tissue she could see, and hissed at her. Grace took its moment of distraction to bring her own fist up and punch it. Sal tried to warn her, but Grace's fist connected under the gargoyle's ear and knocked it off her. Grace staggered to her feet, holding her injured hand and cursing. Yeah, it's made of stone. Don't punch it, Sal said. The remaining shoppers were running from the fight now, screaming, and Sal groaned, thinking of Team Two's inevitable arrival. Asante cried out and Sal whirled. The archivist was trapped in an ice blue trap. At first, it looked like a cage with clear blue bars, but the bars thickened, and Asante struggled against them to no avail. Sal realized it was actual ice growing rapidly. It would soon engulf her. Liam was beside Sal. Well, that woman's gotta still be here. She couldn't summon that cage if she weren't. Sal looked around in a panic. The stool stayed on the ground. Asante was alone in her thickening cage and Grace was dodging the attacks of the lumbering stone gargoyle. Above the kiosk hung large, elaborate Christmas decorations attached to the ceiling with wire. A red and green dragon hung from wires, grasping holly in its jaws. The mage stood on the dragon's head, or more accurately, was clinging to the side and hanging onto one of the wires with one hand, holding a book open with the other. A plan finally formed in Sal's head. Grace, can you hold it off for a bit more? If I have to came the reply as Grace goaded the creature away from the kiosk and dodged another attack. But if you can figure out how to put it down, that would be good. Working on it, Sal yelled and grabbed Liam. They ran into the abandoned juice store. Check the fridge, they should have the mix for that vitamin C drink, she said, pointing to the ad on the wall behind the counter. He ran into the kitchen. Sal hunted around herself, but for something small and dense. A kitchen knife sat on the counter with seven oranges next to it. That might do. She slid it into her belt and grabbed a few other things. Grace shouted, hurry up. Did you find it? Sal yelled over her shoulder at Liam. He came out of the fridge with a jug of bright reddish orange juice, Immuno C Concentrate, it said on the label. She grabbed it from him. Perfect. What next? He said. Get on her computer and see if you can find inventory, she said, pointing to the kiosk's register. Liam nodded once and ran out. 
The mage still focused on her book, and the cage continued to squeeze around Asante. She was visibly shivering now and struggling against the bars, which had closed in to allow her only a coffin-sized free space and little air. The gargoyle had jumped into a men's clothing store display after Grace and was currently rooting through fine menswear to get at her. Silk suits fell into shreds around his feet. Sal didn't see Grace at all. Grace, she shouted and threw a small metal bowl at the gargoyle. It turned abruptly and then leaped at her, eager to go after the prey it could see. Which was when it got a face full of the concentrate made from vitamin C and hot peppers. Orange goo dripped from its hideous face as it screeched and tried to wipe it away, but its one weak spot was an excruciating pain, its yellow eyes turning red. It flailed around, and Grace appeared in the store display, several black leather belts in her hand. She tossed them at Sal's feet. Can you tie it up? She asked. At the same time, Sal tossed her the kitchen knife, the handle first. Grace plucked it out of the air without looking. Throw that at her, Sal said. The gargoyle was not a direct threat anymore, but it was a chaotic, dangerous mess, flailing around and knocking into things. Sal threw a belt at it, wishing for a lasso. She had never lassoed anything ever before, but she did know that rope was more flexible than belts. Grace was at her side then. What about the mage? Sal began, then heard a loud thump on the other side of the kiosk. Oh. She handed Grace the belts and watched as Grace began to burn for speed. Well, at least her curse has some benefits, Sal thought, as her friend dashed around the stone beast and captured its limbs in the finely crafted and very strong leather. She pulled them tight, and then they had one trussed gargoyle that still bellowed with pain from its eyes. The mage lay unmoving and broken on the mall floor, the knife jutting from her throat. Sal winced. Merry Christmas. She was definitely dead, but Asante's cage hadn't melted yet. The magic was still active. Asante struggled. She was running out of time, and she yelled for help. We need to break that cage, Sal said. Liam, the authorities will be here soon. Get to work finding the phone that belongs to the matress. Grace, you've got a wrecking ball right there. Bust open the cage. Just don't hurt Asante. I'm a professional, Grace said, then lifted the gargoyle by two of the belts. Like a champion hammer thrower, she spun around twice and heaved the thing at the ice cage. It didn't shatter like Sal had hoped it would, but it did leave some large cracks. Grace went back to pick up her new weapon and have another go, and Sal returned to the juice store to get something to chip the rest away. It was short work with kitchen utensils and hot water to melt the rest of the ice imprisoning Asante, and Grace and Sal helped the shivering archivist out of her soggy prison. Are you all right? Sal asked. Asante nodded, teeth chattering. A few white patches stood out on her dark skin, but she was otherwise unharmed. Grace appeared behind her, draping a heavy, fur-lined men's trench coat over her shoulders. Sal raised an eyebrow, and Grace made a face. I don't think they will miss this one coat when they're trying to deal with their shredded inventory and broken store window. Sal shrugged. Fair enough. Grace looked at the strange kiosk. What do we do now? She asked. Found it, Liam shouted. The matress acquired June 23rd, value 65,150,000 kroner, which makes it. He paused and punched in a few numbers on Sal's phone. He'd borrowed it again, to her annoyance. A little less than 500,000 euros. That's ours, Asante said. Liam picked up a rather gaudy black case with rhinestones covering it. It's this one. How does this tacky thing carry a secret? Asante was warming up, but wrapped the coat more tightly around her. The phone these were made for was a failure. The magical community has taken advantage of that and purchased them to service their own tools. 
If someone has this phone, you can guess they're not using it for calls. I expect the phone can read whatever secrets the cases are holding. So their phones can work near magic while ours can't? He asked, his eyes gleaming. I need one of these. It's magic that makes them work, Asante said. If you take that into the Vatican, you will be relieved of it in about two seconds. Should we gather all of this? Grace asked, looking at the extensive inventory. Haven't you stolen enough? Sal asked. Grace bristled, but Asante said, no, she's right. We need to treat these as though they're as dangerous as any of the books we find. If not because they can cause damage, then because of who might come looking for them. Sirens wailed in the distance. Masanti began grabbing cases and putting them in the bags stocked by the kiosk, taking care to set the matresses in the trench coat pocket by itself. Get as many as you can, she said, and they got to work. The last thing they packed up was the book still clutched in the mage's dead hands. Once it was closed and shrouded, the gargoyle stopped struggling and began shrinking. Before long, it looked like a pile of belts with one small toy in the middle of it. That's a relief, Sal said. I was trying to figure out how we were going to strap that to the top of the car. Four. A few hours later, they met the maitress in her garden. Well, Asante, Liam, and Sal did. The maitress didn't look at the injuries the team had, not even at the patches of frostbite on Asante's skin, or ask why she was wearing a leather and fur trench coat over her billowy dress. She merely took the cell phone case that Asante offered and, smiling, it crushed it in her hand. It disintegrated to dust, which she blew into her garden. Her flowers stirred in response. Paid in full, she said, smiling. Now you must take care of this. She passed a small shoebox to Asante, who took it carefully. And the information we needed, Sal said. You stole it with the rest of the phone cases. It's in the inventory list as being stolen from an M. Smoth, the matress said, still smiling at her garden. Smoth, Liam asked, pulling up the information he had stolen from the kiosk computer. Yes, demons aren't terribly smart or good spellers, you know. Found it. It's an off-brand Hello Kitty clone case, yellow. They sifted through the plastic bags of cases, and Grace snagged it from hers. That's adorable. It's also information. The maitress produced an oddly shaped slanted phone. Use my phone to read it. Then we are done here. You can leave by the back gate. Asante took the phone and the case, slid one onto the other, and then read. She nodded, relaxing for the first time since she had come out of the ice. Perfect. Shanghai. Grace blinked. What? It looks like the object we need is in Shanghai. In your previous life, did you ever visit... Uh... Asante's eyes narrowed. I think these characters are the... Insert Chinese. Grace frowned. I know the place. I haven't been there in a long time. I don't even know where it would be these days. Right where you left it, the maitress said. Only on the flip side. Now, if you'll excuse me, you can see yourselves out through the back gate. When Asante looked up, the maitress had returned to the house. Asante shrugged and handed the phone to Liam. He took it eagerly. He might have to surrender it when they got to the Vatican, but until then, he had something to occupy him. I wish I could keep this phone, he said on the way to the airport. Think of how much info we could get out of all these cases. 
Now you know what to ask Santa for next year, Sal said, providing Santa shops at the black market. With the book and all the cell phone cases safely secured inside the library, the team met with Manchu for debriefing. He listened without comment until they were done. He looked at Grace curiously. That gargoyle must have attacked you because it sensed you had a rather large magical secret. You were a flame to its moth. Grace rubbed her right hand, which she still held as if it bugged her, even though she'd had plenty of time to heal. It certainly didn't feel like a moth. We got the info we needed, Sal said. Next stop is China. But I could really go for a nap first. Grace shook her head. You promised. Come on, Grace, I'm exhausted, Sal protested. It was a long flight. I was on the same flight. It was five hours, Grace said. You shouldn't have any jet lag, and we still have several hours of daylight. Sal groaned and then closed her eyes. All right, fine. We'll go to Yoroma too. That should have a hot topic or something like it. What are you, hot topic? Menchu asked, looking between them. It's a long story, Sal said. Let Grace tell you sometime, like on the way to China. I have no idea what you're talking about, Liam said. I'm off to bed. Let's plan China tomorrow. Asante kept her eyes on Menchu. He didn't look at her. The others made their ways out of the library, and they sat alone. Was it worth it? He asked. Asante still had some patches of frostbite where the ice had touched exposed skin. It's nice not to be in debt to the maitress anymore, she said. None of the team has any lasting injuries, and we did get the information we needed about the orb. That's not an answer, he said. Of course it was worth it, Arturo. It had to be worth it. We did everything we set out to do, and no civilians died. I actually think it was one of our more successful missions. You do know there'll be questions from Team Two. And they're going to ask why we required their resources for an unsanctioned mission they knew nothing about. This isn't over. Asante nodded. I know. I'll take responsibility if I need to. You'll need to, he said. If not now, then someday. This won't go away. Masanti thought of the small shoebox wrapped in brown paper that sat in the back of her closet. It wasn't a secure hiding place, but it fit in with the other boxes back there. The whole trip had been worth it. I'll be ready when they have questions, she said. She sighed and leaned back in the chair. Now, what happened while we were gone? He rubbed his hollow eyes. I think I would have rather been verbally sparring with the maitress with you, all told. She and her kind offer a fight I can at least enjoy. And her kind resonated in Asante's head, but she didn't react. She felt an ache of loneliness and a brief desire to return to Iceland. But the matress wouldn't accept her any more than the church would. She would just accept the other side of her. She was caught between two worlds and would remain that way until she made a full choice as to what side she fell on. She thought she had chosen decades ago, but this trip had made her wonder. A hard day of meetings? He looked tired. He looked like a man whose heart was full, and he could not find words in which to wrap its fullness. He sat at last and settled for a hard day. You are listening to Book Burners, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. 
listen away. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Book Burners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Amal El-Motar, Murr Lafferty, Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Slattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by XE Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith, with additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring Jody Redditch Ferber and mixed by Justin Morrell. Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Find more shows like Book Burners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, or at realm.fm.